Um, it's taken from Romans 3, as you see shortly. I'm not going to put the text up quite yet because I've got a lengthy introduction. One of the reasons I believe the Bible is true, that it's God's word, is because of the utter bluntness, frankness, with which the Bible depicts the sorry spiritual lives of the Bible's heroes. Abraham, twice, lying about his wife, saying she was his sister. David, you know the story, Bathsheba, Uriah. But the most significant thing is the way that in the New Testament, the Gospels themselves portray that band of disciples as self-seeking, prideful men. Do you realize, according to one of the Gospels, that even in the upper room, even there with the final Passover meal, even though they knew that Jesus was in danger, they were actually arguing about who was the greatest of them. And they had done it according to the reports of the gospel throughout. What's going on there? I think this is what's happening. I think the Bible is underlying the sin that the gospel must deal with. Pride. And I have a lengthy passage uh, from a um, mid-20th century guru named Lewis. And I read it just now. There's one vice. He's going through uh, the uh, uh, several radio uh, lessons about Christian behavior. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian show the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking about, uh, talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite in Christian morals is called humility. You may remember when I was talking about sexual morality, I warned you that the center of Christian morals did not lie there. Well, now we have come to the center. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. 
Does this seem exaggerated to you? If so, think it over. I pointed out a moment ago that the more pride one had, the more one disliked pride in others. In fact, if you want to find out how pride, proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourselves, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take notice of me or shove their oar in when it, guess when it was his turn to row or patronize me or show off. The point is that every person's pride is in con competition with every one else's pride. It's because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I'm so annoyed that someone else is being the big noise. If God were going to devise a system of salvation that would deal with human pride, he needed to come up with something like what he came up with. The solas, especially sola fide, faith alone. My text is verse 27 of chapter 3, that my primary text. What then becomes of boasting because of salvation by faith alone? Boasting is excluded. Now my text, which I'm going to read momentarily, uh, is right following that key six-verse paragraph uh, that I believe it was Elder um, Frank uh, McGovern read. This key text of all of Romans, this key text of the New Testament, this key text of all of Scripture explains how it is that a righteous, holy God can acquit the guilty can justify the ungodly. And there's some key words that are used there. Redemption. Jesus came to give his life a ransom. Ransom price brings about redemption. Propitiation. The wrath of God was removed by what Jesus did. But sprinkled through that passage is this phrase over and over again. Believe or faith or belief. And that's where my text now picks up and I'm reading from um, Romans 3.27 and maybe it's going to show up there, I don't know. Then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Or, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, as I've already emphasized, my text is 27 especially. What then becomes of boasting? The expression of pride. What becomes of it? The gospel excludes it. But verse 27 is grounded in the truth that's repeated in verse 28. Verse 28, four, and that four refers back to the conclusion, no boasting. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. If there's one verse in the New Testament that would support the Reformation, sola fide, it's this one. When Martin Luther got to the point in his translation of the New Testament in Romans chapter 3, and he got to this verse, he translated it, emphasizing the alone. Allein durch den Glauben. He was criticized for that because he added the word alone. Well, you might say that that was one of the first paraphrases that was utterly accurate, speaking the meaning of the text. And Martin Luther's emphasis upon faith alone as the instrument by which God declares us righteous was picked up by the rest of the reformers. Now, I think as we talk about sola fide, faith alone, it's a good time to stop and ask the mean, what, is, what do we mean by faith? What does it mean to believe? What's going on? Well, let me, uh, let me tell you a story I got from one of my uh, theologians uh, about an African missionary translating the book of John, the Gospel of John. And he was searching for the word of the tribal language that he was translating that meant faith, that meant believe. Now, can you imagine translating the Gospel of John without having a good word for believe? And the guy was apparently really uh, perplexed, in despair almost. And as he was sitting there, a tribesman came into his hut, and there was a chair in front of his desk, I guess, and the tribesman landed in that chair all tired out and said, I'm leaning all my weight on this chair. And the missionary jumped up and said, I've got my word. Leaning, resting, trusting. What is it 
that you say when you join a PCA church. You say yes to this vow. Do you receive and rest in the Jesus alone for your salvation? We have uh, the disadvantage within the um, English language that we have this word faith and we have the word believe. Uh, the reason for that is the same reason why we have pork and pig. There was an invasion of some old French speakers into the Saxon, Anglo-Saxon land where it was an old German dialect that was spoken. And so we got we, we've got these two words, faith and belief. They mean exactly the same thing. Exactly. And what does it mean to have faith in the Lord Jesus? There's pictures given through the, uh, through the Gospels and through the, uh, through the New Testament. I think one of the best ones is the picture that's given in John 6:37. No one can come to me, says Jesus, Except the Father draw him, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Coming to Jesus is the expression of faith. Coming. And later in that ch same chapter, Jesus is saying, uh, it, it, he had just done uh, the miracle of the uh, multiplication of the uh, fishes and the loaves. And he said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. Another metaphor. A metaphor that emphasizes that we identify ourselves. We are in union with Jesus. You, if you believe in Jesus, if you've come to Jesus, you were in union with him on the cross. And your sins were dealt with there. And when he rose again in power, you were in union with him and you came forth with resurrection power to live a godly life. Which power will be complete in glory, but it's already started now. Or in uh, John chapter 15, uh, the picture of abiding in Jesus. So some of our newer translations say remain in Jesus. I am the branch I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, remain in me. That's a picture of faith coming to Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, what are we doing? Are we giving him something that he didn't already have? Are we enabling him to save us? No, I think a wonderful picture of what faith is was given by the mid-19th century Baptist theologian, American Baptist theologian, John Augustus Hopkins Strong that I had to read in seminary in the 60s. It was in the early days of the railroads. And he said, faith is like the coupling that keeps the cars together hooked to the locomotive. What's your faith? It's just that which, by which you grab on to the Savior who saves you. No merit at all in that. If you've fall, fallen down into a crevice in a glacier 
where you had enough courage to hike. And you needed rescue, and somebody sent a rope down, and they said, grab it, hold on tight. You get to the top, because they've pulled you up. Do you expect to be congratulated on holding on? No, you're, one that, you're going to congratulate the one who pulled you out. That's what Bible faith in Jesus is, just holding on. It's a coupling. And if it's just holding on, what becomes of boasting? The expression of pride. Whether expressed verbally or demonstrated in action or just sort of hidden in your thoughts. Because if you've been a Christian long enough and you know it's wrong to express it, what do you do with it? You stuff it. But it's still there. It's a battle. And what this salvation does, that Jesus has ordained, that the Father has planned, is it nullifies spiritual pride. So what is boasting? What do we boast about? We boast about that in which we have confidence. What we have confidence in delights us, satisfies us, enables us to rejoice. But boasting is parallel to demonstrating your confidence. That Martin Luther hymn that we uh, just sang, uh, did we in our own strength confide? could very easily have been translated. Did we, in our own strength, boast? To boast is to say, this is what I'm counting on trusting in. And faith is a matter of leaning, receiving and resting and leaning, trusting in Jesus instead of anything that we do. I was firstborn son. Seventeen months later, my brother Alec showed up. And I was learning to talk as he was learning to walk before he could talk. Now, temperamentally, I observed boundaries. Temperamentally, Alec probed boundaries. You might say that Alec was mischievous. You might even say that my brother Alec was naughty. My parents tell me my very first word, fully formed sentence was, and I could not say Alec, I said Aggie. My first fully formed sentence was, Aggie did it. Blame Shifting, perhaps, or perhaps smugness, pride, looking down at my brother who was naughty. And it happened so often, because I guess he was quite mischievous, that when he learned to talk and something bad happened, 
and you needed to run to mommy and say something about it. You know what my brother said? Aggie did it. <laughs> I was an elder brother. Luke 15 style elder brother. I bragged like the elder brother did in Luke. All these years I have toiled for you. And you never even gave me a fatted calf to rejoice with my friends. What was that? Pride. That elder brother in Luke 15 would have had an opportunity to read and hear and put into practice that passage from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 that was read this morning. It's short enough, I'm going to reread it. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. That elder brother watched a father who practiced steadfast love to his younger brother. And he did not delight in it. And that was, for me, growing up, I think one of the ways that I really understood the gospel was when I understood there but for the grace of God, go I. Those words originally attributed to a Puritan pastor, I guess, John Bradford, when he saw prisoners on a cart being taken to the gallows, he said, looked at them and said, there, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. Understanding faith alone, sola fide, involves understanding that that could be me, apart from God's mercy. Now, I want to continue with my passage here to verse 29. And I, I'm sorry you're not seeing it up there. Maybe some of you have it. Let me read it again. Or, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. What's going on here? It's kind of perplexing. Talking about no boasting, and now he's start, starting to talk about the monotheism um, and, and that God is the God of whole, the whole earth. What's he doing here? This is what I think he's doing, even though this is a pastor trying to exegete the passage for a sermon. I didn't read it in the commentary. When we boast, when we express our confidence in something, very often 
it's not just ourselves. It's our social grouping. It's our setting. It's our larger identity. Boasting in our kinship. Oh, we're not a family that behaves that way. Boasting in our race. Isn't this where racism is really rooted? Boasting in our connections, maybe our professional or, or our trade. Um, you know, I did work in the trades for um, uh, more than a decade, and one of the things that carpenters used to like to do was to criticize the way that plumbers drew, made their holes in, in, in the supporting beams without paying any attention to the structural <laughs> there. We were boasting. We boast in our religious connections. We boast in our national identity. What did we do to deserve to be born in a particular country? Nothing. Why do you boast? Everything you have is what was given. But we boast because we're pride. And what the apostle is doing is he's responding to the needs of the Roman church. And he, know, he knows that within that Roman church that he's writing to, there were these Gentiles who had come by faith into the kingdom of God and were professing in Jesus. And there were these Jewish believers who had accepted Jesus as their Messiah and came in. But there was tension between them. Boasting between them. The privileges of those who had been raised in the Old Testament traditions and had familiarity with the, what Paul calls the oracles of God, the promises in the temple and all of that. Their privileges were great. And they tended to boast in it. And Paul says, no boasting in that. So I think that's what's going on here. I think that Paul is saying, it's not just that you can boast in your own achievements, it's your boasting in those with whom you associate. Both are wrong. God is the same God and saves everyone the same way. No boasting about anything. Now, I'm getting to the conclusion of my sermon now. And I ask this question. Is any boasting acceptable? If I see a hand nodding, head nodding. If any boasting is acceptable, what is it? Well, Galatians 6, at the end, Paul writes, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do you boast in the cross? 
Well, if you want to ask me a question, well, what does that mean to boast in the uh, cross? I really want to answer that question now. Boasting in the cross is placing your confidence in the cross. Let me say that again. To boast to glory in Jesus Christ. To boast in the gospel. To boast in the cross is to place your confidence in Jesus. In the gospel. In the cross. That's what Paul's talking about here. Sometimes the word glory is used instead of the word boast. It's the same thing. To glory puts the emphasis upon the exaltation that we have that Jesus is our Savior. That God has saved us through Jesus. Now, I started with a lengthy quotation from C.S. Lewis. And this is Reformation Day. So, who comes next? Luther. Luther, in his very important Galatians commentary, is commenting on verse 13 of chapter 3 in Galatians. Let me read it for you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So, to boast in Jesus, to boast in the cross, is to recognize what Jesus did there for you, for me. And here's my quote from that great German reformer. Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law, and so, and, and so to be holden or, or, or imprisoned under the law, that we could never be delivered from it, from it of our own power, he sent his only Son into the world and laid upon him all the sins, all the sins of all men, saying, The Father says to the Son Jesus, Be thou Peter, that denier, Paul, that persecutor and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, that sinner who did eat the fruit in Eden, that thief who hanged upon the cross. And if you've come to Jesus, I want you to keep following through after what I say. Be thou David Hugh Minor from Chicago, Illinois, that smug elder brother and pay for his pride and sin. We're going to pray after you filled in that.
Gracious Heavenly Father, teach us to boast. Remind us to boast in knowing you, that you are a God of steadfast love, compassion. You act justly. And in your righteousness, you declare ungodly, guilty sinners righteous. Through Christ Jesus alone, strengthen our faith in our Savior, the one who is able to save because he perfectly obeyed the law, and the one who is willing to save, who says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus, we come to you. In your name we come before our Heavenly Father. Amen.